Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, have you seen the new TV show, the game show, Supermarket Sweep? Uh, It's actually not a new TV game show. It's an old one. It first ran back in the 1960s, and then it was reprised in the 1990s. And just last month, October 2020, there is a new version of Supermarket Sweep. Here's the basic plot of the game. Uh, Contestants are taken to a a superstore during the off hours, and they're given a, a shopping cart and a limited amount of time. And when the starting bell rings, they race up and down the aisles, throwing things into their shopping cart. And when the stopping bell rings, they add up the dollar amount of everything in the contestants' carts, and who's ever got the highest dollar amount wins the game. Real simple. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't you like to do this in your favorite store? Okay, especially if you got to keep the things that you put in your shopping cart. Like to do this at Banana Republic or Best Buy or, you know, I'd like to do it at Caputo's Meat Market. You know, just ribs and steaks and, and whatever. Well, there's an Old Testament character who would, have, who would have been a runaway winner at Supermarket Sweep. In fact, the dude's name tells us a lot about him. His parents gave him the name. You're not going to believe this. They called him the Grabber. That's what the name Jacob means. It means one who grasps. And today we're going to take a look at the life of Jacob. Uh, Welcome to week three in a four-part series, a series in the book of Genesis. We're looking at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay, and these are four guys called, often referred to as the forefathers of our faith. Today, again, our focus is is on Jacob. This is a Bible-savvy series. What I mean by that is that it tracks with Christ Community Church's Bible-savvy daily reading schedule. So if you haven't jumped in yet, I encourage you, go online to our website or pick it it up off our, our mobile app, get a hold of the Bible reading schedule, and start becoming a Bible everyday person. That's our goal. In fact, if you read this week, the passages you read are the passages we're going to be looking at in today's sermon. So again, our focus is going to be on Joseph. His story is a uh, a rather long story in the book of Genesis. It extends from chapter 25 to 35. In fact, little bits and pieces of it even beyond chapter 35. But I'd like to sum it up today in three words. Three words that describe three aspects, not only of Jacob's life, but of our lives as well. So at the end of every word, I'm going to ask you a very important personal question. So here we go. Here's the first word. And if you'd like to follow along on the outline you'll find on your mobile app, there's an outline that goes with the the sermon today. Uh, The first word we're going to look at is the word grasping. Grasping. As I said a moment ago, this is what Jacob's name meant. Grasping. There are several episodes in Jacob's life where we see this grasping illustrated. The first episode was his birth. So Jacob was a twin. His brother Esau was born first. Jacob came out of the womb grasping for Esau's heel. 
grasping for Esau's heels. So if your Bible is open to Genesis, Genesis is an easy book to find right at the beginning of your Bible. Uh, Turn with me to chapter 25, chapter 25, and drop down to verse 24. It says, when the time came for her, her is Rebecca, the mom, when it came time for Rebecca to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so he was named Jacob. Jacob, the grabber. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If, if there were a number on the Enneagram that described a person who is always uh, aggressively, somewhat selfishly grabbing for the most out of life for themselves, you know, Jacob would be that number. Jacob would be that number. That's how he was wired from birth. But in fairness to Jacob, there is a bit of this tendency in all of us, right? We are all grabbers to some extent. We are constantly grasping for more. I mean, this is such a common human trait that God even has to address it in one of his Ten Commandments. One of the top ten moral imperatives warns us against grasping. What commandment am I talking about? Commandment number, number ten, you shall not covet. Covet means to crave what other people have and then set out a path for getting it for ourselves, grasping. And the list of things it's possible to grasp for is, is endless. And, and these things are not necessarily bad. We can grasp for a good friend or a better job or acceptance to the college of our dreams. We can grasp for the love of our kids if we're a parent, or for recognition or a bigger salary. We can grasp for video games or a spouse or a vacation or a starting position on the team. So how do we know when the pursuit of the things I've just mentioned is is a healthy ambition So it's okay, and when it crosses the line and becomes the sort of grasping that commandment number 10 prohibits. Well, I'm not going to answer that question for you. Instead, I'm going to continue with the life of Jacob. Because Jacob's life is a picture of grasping gone bad. If you want to know what it looks like, Jacob is that picture. So after grasping for his twin brother Esau's heel at birth, what's the next thing Jacob grasps for? He grasps for Isaac's blessing. Now, Isaac was Jacob's daddy, and a father's blessing was a big deal in that ancient culture. Uh, The blessing went to the oldest son in the family. In this case, that would be Esau. Now, there were two sides to the blessing. Side one was called the birthright. And the birthright meant the oldest son got twice the amount of inheritance as any of the other siblings. Okay, so that's the, the, the first part of the blessing. Side two was a positive prophetic pronouncement, a dad A dad would predict something wonderful about the future of his oldest child, his oldest son. So this is what was coming Esau's way, and Jacob wanted it for himself. Now, maybe you can empathize with with Jacob. 
Maybe, maybe you've always wanted to know that you were special to your dad or to your mom, and you don't care a lot about the financial inheritance, but you would just love to hear them say how much they love you or are proud of you or are certain that you're going to succeed in life. You understand Jacob's longing for a parental blessing. Unfortunately, Jacob went about getting, uh, getting that blessing in the wrong way. He did it by grasping. And this happened in two stages. Stage one, Jacob wheedled the birthright portion of the blessing away from his brother Esau. And here's how he did it. Okay, Esau loved to hunt as he grew up. He was a skilled hunter. He was a man's man. Jacob, on the other hand, he was a homebody. He liked hanging out with his mom. He liked cooking. This is where we pick up the story. If you're still open to Genesis 25, drop down to verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom, by the way, if you look at your footnote, it means red, as in red stew. That's what he wanted. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then he got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. Okay, Jacob now had the birthright portion of the blessing. He had the double inheritance. But what about the flip side? What about the prophetic pronouncement portion where a dad makes a positive prediction about his oldest son? That was a little harder for Jacob to grasp away from his brother Esau. But one day he had an opportunity to do it. As the story continues, Isaac is now a really old dude and he's lost his eyesight but he's still got a really hearty appetite. And so he calls in Esau one day and he says, Esau, go hunt up some game for me and make me a tasty meal. Isaac was kind of driven by his stomach. In fact, game and tasty meal pop up 14 times. I tell you to look for repeating words or ideas in a passage. Isaac was really into his food. So he sends Esau out saying, when you bring back this meal for me, I'll give you my blessing." So Rebecca overhears this conversation, and Rebecca's favorite is Jacob, and she would rather see Jacob get the blessing than Esau. So she comes up with a scheme. She makes Isaac's favorite meal, and then she calls Jacob in, and she says, Jacob, I've got some goat skin I'm going to put on the back of your hands and on the back of your neck. Why? To make him feel hairy like his brother Esau. So the story continues. Jacob takes this tasty meal into Isaac and says, hello, dad, Esau here, I'm here for my blessing. Well, Isaac is immediately suspicious and he says, how did you come up with the game so quickly? And Jacob says, "Uh, God helped me. What a liar. What a liar. Isaac, he's not buying it. He says, the voice doesn't sound like Esau's. Come here for a moment. And he touches the back of his hands and the back of his neck. And it's hairy, like Esau. 
And so he, he eats the meal and he offers the blessing. Now, if your Bible is open, this is all in chapter 27. You're going to love reading it this week. I want you to drop down to verse 28 of Genesis 27. This is the blessing. Isaac says, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob gets the blessing and he skedaddles out of there because he doesn't want to be around when Esau shows up. And he's no sooner out of the room than Esau shows up with a tasty meal and says, Esau, here, come to get my blessing. And Isaac immediately knows that he's been duped. And he says, drop down to verse 35, he said to Esau, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Well, Esau is enraged. How many of you know it's not a good idea to get a skilled hunter mad at you? And so Rebecca figures she, she needs to get Jacob out of town or his life is toast. And so she goes to Isaac and she says, I got a great idea. You know, Jacob, it's about the time he, he finds a girl, settles down, gets married. But we don't want a local girl here in Cana, Canaan. Let's send him back to my homeland. Remember last week's story where a servant travels hundreds of miles across the desert to find Rebecca for Isaac? So Rebecca says, how about we send him to my homeland? And that's what they do. But Jacob is not done with his grasping. He travels to his mom's hometown and he moves in with Uncle Laban, his mother's brother. Now, I'm temporarily here going to skip over a couple parts of the story. Along the way to Laban's home, something interesting happens, and then he eventually marries two of Laban's daughters, but I'm going to come back to those parts of the story in a bit. Right now, I want to tell you about Jacob's grasping for Laban's business. Okay, Jacob went to work for his uncle, now his, his father-in-law, and the family business was sheep and goats. So Laban had a, a substantial flock and herd. Okay, and, and Jacob began to serve alongside of his father-in-law, and Jacob was really good at what he did. And so Laban's business prospered. But one day Jacob came to his father-in-law and he said, you know, I think it's about time that I go back to my homeland. Laban didn't want him to leave. So he said, listen, name your salary. What do you want me to pay you in order to keep you here? And uh, Jacob thought for a moment and he said, okay, here's the bonus I want. I want all the speckled sheep and goats. Now, backstory. Okay, in, in that part of the world at that time, sheep were almost always white and goats were almost always black. So the stragglers ended up being a little, little bit of each. They were speckled. So Jacob's asking for the, the cast-offs. Laban says, sure, I get to keep the white sheep and the black goats. Fine with me. But Jacob is a conniver. So what he does is he takes some branches, some tree branches, and he strips off pieces of bark and he makes the branches speckled. And then he plants those branches in front of the watering troughs that the animals drink from during mating season. 
and they produce speckled offspring. Now, just an aside here, some of you are wondering, does that work? (laughs) Well, it worked not because the superstitious trick worked. It worked because God was blessing Jacob in spite of himself. We're going to come back to that. So he connives to get the business. Here's the point. Jacob was willing to do anything necessary, even use trickery to get ahead at business. He was grasping for success. So what are we willing to do to get ahead vocationally? What are we willing to do to land the job we want or to close the big deal or to finance the lifestyle we prefer? Would we lie? You know, would, would we undermine a boss or diss a, a co-worker to get around him? Would we work 60-hour weeks neglecting our, our families in the process? Jacob was a bad role, role model for those who grasp excessively for success. One final example of Jacob's grasping. Jacob grasped for Esau's forgiveness. See, the day finally came when Jacob decided to head back to his homeland. He was a wealthy man at this point, but he was scared stiff of facing Esau. What if Esau held a grudge? So as Jacob approached his homeland, he sent word ahead to Esau, hey, I'm coming back into town, looking forward to getting reacquainted. <laughs> right. And he hears from Esau that Esau is coming out to greet him with 400 men. And Jacob's thinking to himself, is this a welcoming party? Or is this like an enemy army? He's not sure. So he comes up with a plan. See, this is Jacob. He's always got to have a plan. He's always got a scheme. He's always got to come up with a way to grasp for what he wants. And in this case, he wants Esau's forgiveness. So he puts together a gift package, a package of camels and cattle and uh, other sorts of goodies, and he sends it on ahead to Esau. In fact, after he sends the first wave of gifts, he sends a second wave, and then a third wave, and then another wave. And this is what he's thinking to himself. We're now in chapter 32. So Genesis 32, verse 20. Jacob thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. And then later when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. Now, here's the crazy thing about Jacob's approach. He goes to such ridiculous ends to put together an elaborate gift package to buy his brother's forgiveness. Why didn't he just say, I'm sorry? Why didn't he just apologize? Why didn't he just meet Esau and say, Esau, I was such a jerk when we were growing up and I cheated you out of your birthright and and the blessing. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? But no. Jacob's go-to behavior was always grasping. You you want something? You got to grab it. You got to grab it. And that regularly got Jacob into trouble. Jacob was like the monkey with the coconut. You ever see that video? Okay, some hunters in South India, this is how they capture monkeys. They hollow out a coconut and they put a treat inside. The treat can be a little bit of rice or fruit and 
Then they attach this coconut, they tie it to a tree limb or to a stake in the ground, and a monkey comes along, sticks his hand in, grabs what he wants. Now he can't get his fist out of the coconut. He's stuck. All he's got to do is let go of what he's grasping, and he's a free monkey. But he can't make himself let go. He's got a grasp, and so he's captured. So here's my question, my personal question for you. What are you grasping for today? What is it you got to have? I mean, you are doing everything to get it. What are you grasping for? Here's a second word. Grace. Three words to sum up the life of Jacob. Grace. There's a reason why we go through life grasping. Uh, Grasping for special relationships or exciting opportunities or materialistic stuff. See, we believe that the things we're aggressively pursuing are going to make us happy. Uh, They're going to provide us with a sense of security. They're going to fill us with purpose. But here's the truth. Lasting happiness and security and purpose come from God. And so if we knock ourselves out trying to get these things from other sources, those other sources will become our gods, false gods, what the Bible refers to as idols. And the Bible says the trouble with idols is they don't deliver. They make promises they don't keep. Now, friends, we can make an idol out of just about anything. We can make an idol out of our job or our grandkids. We can make an idol out of getting a college diploma or a pilot's license or a boyfriend or Bose speakers for our stereo or, or, or whatever. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 115 says about idols. They have mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, noses but can't smell, they have hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats, and those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So you make for yourself an idol out of something that is powerless to deliver the goods in your life, and you become powerless. If you're grasping for lasting happiness, security, and purpose from any source other than God, you are in for a huge disappointment. However, these are gifts that God loves to give those who pursue him. These are gifts that God loves to give those who pursue him. Gifts, not something we earn. In fact, we don't deserve them. They come from God's grace. If Jacob had only stopped his incessant grasping and taken the time to notice the many evidences of God's grace in his life. So let me take a few moments now. I'm going to go back over the story of Jacob and note five evidences of God's grace. First, you got position. Jacob wanted to be a somebody. Jacob didn't want to go through life playing second fiddle to Esau, the firstborn. So he put on a full court press to acquire the family birthright and blessing from his daddy. But here's the irony. Before Jacob was ever born, while he was still in the the womb, 
God prophesied that he had a plan in mind for Jacob. He had a position for him to play. You know, go back to chapter 25. Genesis 25, the the two boys, the twins, are jostling in Rebekah's womb. And she goes to God and she says, what's the deal? What's happening in here? And God says, verse 23 of Genesis 25, two nations are in your womb. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. The younger is going to rule. So God had great plans for Jacob. Jacob didn't need to rip off his brother in order to get a better position in life. God had a plan for Jacob, just as he does for you. God has a plan for your life. Here's here's another sign of God's grace in, in Jacob's life, promises. God made Jacob promises. After Jacob stole his brother's birthright and blessing and then uh, skedaddled out of town. He's on his way to Uncle Laban's and along the way he stops one night for some sleep and he's lying on the open ground. There's a big stone he's using for a pillow and he has a dream. And in this dream there is a giant stairway, the base of which is on earth and the top of which goes into heaven. This is before Led Zeppelin wrote the song. If you like classic rock, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you could look it up afterwards. And there are angels going up and down the stairway. You're just symbolically saying, God's looking out for Jacob. And then there's a voice. This is Genesis 28, picking it up at verse 13. This is the voice of God in Jacob's dream. He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. These are God's promises. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. So God makes all these promises to Jacob based upon what? On something Jacob's done? (laughs) All he's done so far is rip off his brother, deceive his dad, and left his mom a mess to clean up in his wake. These promises are totally undeserved. They're God's grace. He's done nothing to earn them. In fact, God speaks to him in his sleep. Jacob is not up all night on his knees praying to God, looking to God for his leading. God, what do you want me to do? No, he's asleep. When God says, these are the promises I've got for you. I've got a position for you. I've got promises for you. I've got prosperity in store for you. This is where we go back to the portion of the story where he's working for his uncle Laban and multiplying speckled sheep and goats. And if you'd ask Jacob at the time, well, how is this thing working? Jacob would have said, my idea, my strategy. Let me tell you about the branches and the speckled, you know. Jacob consistently credited his success, his prosperity, to his own efforts, oblivious to the fact that he owed it all 
to God. Here's a fourth evidence of grace, protection. When Jacob finally decided to stop working for Uncle Laban, father-in-law Laban, and return to his homeland, he made his move deceptively. This was classic Jacob. He snuck out of town at night with his family and his household wealth. His wife, Rachel, even stole her dad's household gods, which we imagine were probably expensive idols with embedded jewels and, and whatnot. Well, this did not set well with Laban. Don't forget, his daughters and his grandkids had been whisked away without him even being given the chance to say goodbye. So he pulls together an army of friends to track Jacob down. And you could bet as he's traveling, he's thinking of what he's going to do with Jacob when he finally catches up with him. And so he finally does. This is chapter 31. Drop down to verse 29. This is Laban speaking to Jacob when he finally catches up with him. And he says, verse 29, I have the power to harm you. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So God gets in the way. And Laban lets Jacob go. Why? Because of Jacob's ability to defend himself? <laughs> no, because of God's protection, because of God's grace. You ever wonder, I sometimes stop and, and wonder, how many times in life you've been protected from stuff you didn't even know you were protected from? You know, how many times in life have you been protected from an illness or an accident or a personal enemy or even a spiritual attack and you didn't even know? God's grace, position, promises, prosperity, protection. One last evidence of God's grace in Jacob's life, peace. Yeah, I'm talking now about Jacob's relationship with his brother Esau, the brother he had ripped off, the brother who had threatened to kill him, the brother who was now coming to meet him with 400 menacing men, the brother whom he had tried to buy forgiveness from with wave after wave of gift package. Turn to Genesis 33, drop down to verse 4. This is a description of Esau finally greeting Jacob, and it wasn't with a drawn sword. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and, and strangled him. No, 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 and kissed him. And they wept. What melted Esau's heart toward Jacob? Was it, was it Jacob's gifts sent on ahead? Now, if you keep reading the story, Esau, Esau says to Jacob, what's with all these gifts? I don't need any more stuff. I've got plenty of stuff of my own. See, Jacob's reconciliation with Esau was a God thing. God brought peace to their relationship. Reconciled relationships are always a sign of God's grace. God's grace. God's undeserved favor sprinkled all through Jacob's life. Now here's my personal question for you. Where has God shown you 
his grace. Where has God shown you his grace? It's been all around you. Have you missed it? Now, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you got a huge infusion of grace at that moment of surrender, whether you realized it or not. See, you didn't get what you deserved. What you deserved, according to Scripture, is, is death. It's what the Bible says. We go our way instead of God's way. We run our own lives. We, we're our, our, our many gods. The trouble with doing that, with disassociating ourselves, disconnecting from God, who's the giver of life, is that the penalty is death. We've separated ourselves from life. So Jesus comes to planet Earth that first Christmas to grow up and give his life on the cross, to take the death that we deserve to die, to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he rises from the dead and he lives today offering forgiveness and new life to those who will surrender to him. It's all grace. The apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not by grasping. So no one can boast, Paul says. When you surrender to Jesus, forgiveness and new life are given to you as a gift from God. Grace. Grace. But the grace doesn't end there. Oh, every day there are fresh evidences of God's grace, his undeserved favor in our lives. Unfortunately, we're often as blind to these evidences as Jacob was. I mean, he even assumed that his grasping accounted for the good things he enjoyed. What a twisted perspective. Kind of like ours. So what can we do to change that? Well, that leads us to a third and final word, and it's the word brokenness. Brokenness bridges the gulf between grasping and grace. Brokenness is how we get from grasping and we end up in the arms of God's grace. Now, I don't know if the word broken sounds appealing to you. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends. You know, we're talking about your grandma's china. Broken is a bad thing. If we're talking about a wild stallion that becomes a racehorse, broken is a good thing. Okay, broken promise, bad thing. Broken in baseball mitt, good thing. Broken relationship, bad thing. Broken spell in Narnia where the white witch has kept us in a winter with never a Christmas. Broken spell is a good thing. Okay, brokenness in Jacob's life was a good thing. What's brokenness? Brokenness is when we encounter hardships in our lives that are beyond our ability to control. No amount of grasping on our part can get us out of it. You know, we need God's resources. We need God's grace. And that recognition comes through brokenness. Now, it's possible that you could be engaged in a brokenness experience and it not lead you to grace because you refuse to respond appropriately and so your brokenness just ends up being brokenness. But if you respond the right way, you end up in the arms of God's grace. 
So let me really quickly, because I don't have time to cover this third point. You're going to have to read it on your own this week in Genesis. I want you to look for evidences, you know, experiences of brokenness in Jacob's life. I'm going to give you three examples, and then we're going to wrap up. So example number one, he experienced brokenness by deception. Now, this is kind of crazy because God decided to give him the medicine that he'd been dishing out to others. He goes to work for Uncle Laban. He falls in love. Jacob falls in love with his daughter, Rachel, and says, can I marry your daughter? And Laban says, sure, and throws a big wedding party. And the inference, as you read the scripture between the lines, is that maybe Jacob got a, lot of, a, little, a little bit tipsy, a little bit drunk at the party. And he goes to bed that night in his darkened tent, and Laban comes by with his daughter and slips her under the covers with Jacob. Only it's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. Guys, how would you like to wake up the day after your wedding and find out you married the wrong woman? Okay, this is not good. Jacob is upset and he goes to Laban and he screams at Laban, you deceived me. When you read the story, you, you laugh out loud. This is Jacob saying, you deceived me? Really? The pot calling the kettle black? My goodness. But it was through that deception that he experienced some brokenness. You ever been betrayed? Ever have a good friend cheat you out of something and tell you a lie? You know brokenness by deception. Second example of brokenness in, in Jacob's life, brokenness by demands. So he still wants Rachel, and eventually he gets Rachel too. Now he's got two wives, and they both want to sleep with him. It's, it, it's not for the enjoyment, the romance, or for the, the sex. It's because in that culture, a woman's worth was determined by the uh, number of babies she had. And so they both want to produce babies through Jacob. And so they're both saying, you got to sleep with me. No, you got to sleep with me. And went by. Now, initially, it might have been pretty exciting to Jacob. <laughs> but it got old quick. In fact, they, they started giving their servant girls to Jacob and say, sleep with her now. Make more babies for my side, my team. And after a while, Jacob felt like a, like a gigolo. You know, sex for hire. Demands. Demands will, will give you a sense of brokenness, won't they? You know, whether it's the demands of a boss or a teacher or in-laws or the demands of a too busy schedule or of deadlines or chores that got to be done or just the stress of living with COVID demands. I'm stressed out. Brokenness. What are you going to do with that brokenness? Third example, debilitation. This is my favorite part of the Jacob story. We could spend an entire day just talking about chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles with God. He's on his way to meet his brother Esau, and the night before, he's deeply troubled. He, he can't sleep, and all of a sudden, a guy in the dark tackles him and begins to wrestle with him. And spoiler alert, we find out later that this is God in human form. Now, here's the good news, bad news of this wrestling match. The bad news is that God always wins. And so God touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. But the good news is, 
The limp was a constant reminder that he couldn't do it on his own. He had to stop grasping. He had to throw himself into the arms of God's grace. Friends, again, when, when you come across brokenness in your life, some of you are experiencing brokenness of one sort or another right now. Maybe one of the kinds that Jacob experienced, maybe something totally different, but you're being broken, and you could either double down and try harder and grasp more, or you could come to Almighty God and say, I can't do this. I need you. And throw yourself into the arms of his grace. Let me tell you something, your brokenness, God is not trying to wreck your life. He's trying to break you of a nasty habit and the habit is grasping and he wants to drive you into his arms. Would you pray with me? Lord, that's what we want to do right now. We just want to say, oh, envelope us in your arms, God. Forgive us for always coming up with a scheme, always conniving, always having another plan for how we're going to get what it is we want. And God, instead, we come to you and we throw ourselves entirely on your mercy and your grace. For those of us who've never surrendered to you, this is the moment we say, I'm tired of running my life. I want Jesus to run it. I want the forgiveness that he offers, that he purchased for me on the cross. And I want him to become the king of my life. And for those of us in the midst of brokenness right now, God, I pray that you'd heal our wounds, but teach us during this time to depend on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.